Well, I'd invite you to take a seat. And while you're doing that, I'd love to uh, introduce myself. As Josh said, my name is Chris. I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. And we really hope that you've had a great weekend, this Father's Day weekend, regardless of how you celebrate Father's Day or who you celebrate Father's Day with. We really hope that you've uh, celebrated the dads and celebrated the important father figures in your life today. And uh, as Josh said, we're jumping into part two of a three-part series. So if you're joining us tonight for the first time in this series or you're back to church for the first time in a long while, um, the way we like to do things is we like to unpack a big idea and uh, take a look at it from a number of different angles over a couple of weeks. And last week, we launched this series called Be Rich. And just to bring us all up to speed, because I don't want you kind of being like, where are they going? Where did they come from last week? I want to get us all on the same page as we launch out tonight. And really, how we ended last week is we left you all with a question. And we said over the next seven days, we'd love you to take some time to think about the answer to this question, but it's a super easy question, so if you weren't here last week, you can think about it in the next five seconds. And the question was this, is your hope in riches or in the one who richly provides? And the reason that we asked this question, we said that there's a tendency in our lives to, to the more money we make and the more ambitious we get and the more stuff that we accumulate, our hope begins to shift from God to stuff. And we kind of painted a picture for you and we said, if you got to the end of your life and you had like a countdown on where your life, uh, and you knew when your life was going to end... Would your hope be in your stuff? Would your hope be in your bank account? Would your hope be in in your possessions or in your wealth? And what we said was, hey, look, if your hope is not going to be there in the end, why would you waste all this time in your middle placing your hope in something else? And really the bottom line, it's super churchy because I wanted it to stick in your mind. It's kind of a little bit lame. It might be something you might find on play school. But but the bottom line from last week was simply this. Uh, when uh, When riches become the basis of your hope, you're headed down a slippery slope. Now, we said, and I said last week, that if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I can't tell you to place your hope in God, but, but I think that there's better places for you to place your hope than in your riches. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we said last week that the reason that this is so important for us, the reason that this is more than just good advice, the reason why this matters is because when we fail to place our hope in God, we actually compromise the number one characteristic, the hallmark of the early Jesus movement. When the church first came onto the scene a little over 2,000 years ago, it was not known for its theology. That's a fancy word for its understanding of God. In fact, when Christians would talk about God and, and the way that they believed that Jesus was God, they got laughed out of the room. People didn't want to have anything to do with them. When the church first began, they were not known for how much stuff they had. They were known for how poor they were and how little stuff they had. What they were known for And what they were characterized by was their generosity. Though they had absolutely nothing, they gave what they have. And while cultures in that time were very communal and it was like, these are my people and these are not my people. And if you're not my people, then you don't get my help. The Christians would go into communities that would push their own uh, marginalized people that were not their people and they would look after them. The Christians that were were the ones that extended hands of generosities and looked after the marginalized and the outcast. And so we said for us as followers of Jesus, this series is so important because if our hope moves to our stuff, we compromise the number one thing that the early church was characterized by. And so tonight what I really want to do is I want to talk around the, uh, the one thing that prevents us from being generous. 
if generosity is what the early church was known for, there's one thing that prevents us from being generous in our life. And the reason why I want to do this uh, is because I know that maybe some of you don't care whether people are, whether, whether you're generous or not, but I guarantee you want people to at least think you're generous. You might not want to be generous, but you kind of want people to at least think of you as a generous person. And the reason I want to talk about this tonight is I want something more for you than that. I want you to be the person who when your group of friends or when your family or when people are talking, they say, hey, who's, who do you know that's generous? I want your name to come to their mind. I want your face to come to their mind. I want you to be the person that is characterized by generosity. But in, in order for us to do that, in order for, for us to be able to be generous people, we're going to have to kind of identify and wrestle to the ground two big questions. And the first thing we need to identify is, is what actually is it that prevents us from being generous? What's the one thing that stands in the way and prevents us from being generous? And then the second question, uh, or the second thing we need to identify is, how do we overcome it? Once we've identified that thing that prevents us from being generous, what do we need to do in, in, in order to either jump over that barrier or push through that barrier or sidestep that barrier so that we can be people that are known for our generosity? And the good thing for us is that um, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he not only identified, but he defined and gave us a definition for the one thing that stands in the way between generosity uh, between us and being generous. And he, gave, he identified and he gave this definition when he was speaking to a crowd of thousands of people. Sometimes Jesus would speak in homes and other times he would speak on, on hillsides to thousands and thousands of people. And this one day, Jesus had a crowd of thousands of people in front of him. And Jesus identified the one thing that prevents us from being generous. You ready? It's greed. Greed is the one thing that Jesus identified as that prevents us from being generous. In fact, Jesus, uh, the historian Luke, uh, went and researched, and he heard from so many people that this was such a big deal during Jesus' life that Luke uh, recorded this in his biographical account of the life of Jesus. And when Luke recounts the time that Jesus talked about greed to thousands and thousands of people, this is what Luke says that Jesus said. Uh, Jesus said this, he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Doesn't that seem odd that Jesus would frame it that way and phrase it that way? Because if you see a greedy person, wouldn't you think that it would be like, stop being greedy. You in the back, I see you. Stop being greedy. You, stop being greedy. What, why is it that Jesus said, guard, guard against greed? And we get a little insight in the very next sentence that Jesus uttered. He said, life is not measured by how much you own. In other words, Jesus knew that the thousands and thousands of people standing in front of him, what was true of them is true of us today, that over time, we start to look to the person to our left and the person to our right, and we start to look around. And if we're not careful, we begin to measure our value and measure our worth in comparison to everyone else. Oh, that person got a new phone? I should, I should probably get an upgrade on my phone. Oh, that person got cool new shoes and everyone complimented them. I should probably get cool new shoes so everyone compliments me. Oh, that person got a new car. I should probably get a new car. Oh, those people over there can send their kids to a private school. We should be able to refinance something to send our kids to a private school as well. And if we're not careful, we get greedy. 
And the reason that we get greedy is because we start to compare ourselves to everyone else and we start to measure our worth and measure our value based on our stuff. Now, notice what Jesus didn't really say. Jesus didn't say, if you have a lot of money in your bank account, that makes you greedy. Jesus didn't say, if you're smart with your money, it makes you greedy. Jesus says that you need to guard against greed. Because what, we get greedy when we compare our lives to everyone else's. And the insight that Jesus is getting at here is that ultimately, greed isn't a financial issue. It's a heart issue. The reason that Jesus uses that word guard is because just like you guard your house and you put alarms on and you lock the doors and you set up a little bit of a boundary, just as you make preventative steps in your house to make sure a burglar doesn't sneak in, so too do we need to put some boundaries and take some precautions so that greed doesn't sneak into our hearts. Because if we're not on guard, greed can sneak into our hearts and it can lie dormant in there for years, eroding away till eventually we become greedy and we don't even know what it is. But if greed is something that comes from our heart, if greed is something that comes from within our heart and lies dormant within our heart, then, then there's something that fuels greed. Because greed is an outlook on the world, greed is a, a behavior, but it's not something that comes from within our heart. So what is it that fuels greed? What is that emotion that lies within our heart that fuels greed? And the answer to that is fear. Fear fuels greed. And chances are, maybe if you're kind of pushing back, and you're like, oh, I don't really know if I buy it. Fear can be, you, you can see fear rise up in your life. You can see fear fueling greed in your life if you've ever used a phrase that is comprised of two words. What if? In fact, I even went to the, um, I even wrote down some what ifs that we use in our own lives that, that, uh, that uh, fuel greed, that prevent us from being generous? What ifs? What if I'm generous and there's nothing left for me? What if I loan something to someone and they break what I loan them or they damage it? What if? What if because of my generosity, I miss out on something? What if I give some money away to someone and then an opportunity comes and I can't go to that concert or I can't? What if? What if I don't get my fair share? What if I'm generous and what if people exploit me? And what if I don't get my fair share? What if he or she has more than me? What if the economy collapses and I've been so generous? Here's a good one. What if God doesn't provide for me? This is a really good one for those of us who say we're followers of Jesus. What if God doesn't provide for me the way that I would provide for me? What if God calls me to be generous, but I'm just not sure that God, if I am generous, that God would provide for me the way that I want to be provided for and that I would provide for myself in that circumstance. And for the thousands and thousands of people that were sitting in front of Jesus, they were sitting there listening to Jesus talk about the need to guard against greed. And they, they knew that it was something that, that it was fueled by fear and it lay dormant in their hearts. And they're all sitting there and they're all kind of leaning forward and they're like, but Jesus, what's the definition of greed? Jesus, could you give us a definition? Because if we had a definition of greed, maybe we could kind of like work our way around it or we could come to some kind of middle ground where we're not really that greedy but we've got enough for ourselves. What, what would that look like? And Jesus, I think he probably would have been pretty annoying to listen to a lot of the time. Um, because Jesus never answered with a straight answer. 
Jesus answered so often, as he does all the time, he's a master teacher with a story. And he was no different in this account because Luke says, then he told them a story. And Jesus tells stories all the time. He uses stories as a key point for his teachings. And he tells a a made-up story that has a bigger picture meaning. The really fancy church word is parable. It's a story about something here on earth that has has an eternal meaning or has implications beyond the story. And so Jesus begins the story this way. He says, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In other words, in our, in our modern society, that's someone that we'd look at and go, they're doing all right for themselves. They are, they've got a good job, they've got a stable income, they don't really have a lot of debt, they're doing really, really well. And then uh, he goes on. He's, the, the rich man says, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. This is what we define as a first world problem. I've got so much extra stuff... What should I do? There is, I guarantee you, just like you're probably sitting there not feeling sorry for this guy, there is no one in Jesus' audience that was there and like, oh, that poor rich man. He's got so much stuff. Now everyone's like, okay, first world problem. This guy's got so much stuff. What does he do with all his crops? And he goes on. It says, then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And, and this, this is just an, a little glimpse of how rich this guy is. This guy didn't even need to sell off a portion of the stuff that, that he, uh, of these possessions. He just decided, I've got so much stuff, I'll just take the extra stuff in my account and I'll just knock down my barn and I'll just build a bigger barn straight away and shove all the stuff in there. We'll be sorted. And then he goes on. He says, and I'll sit back and say to myself, and he's talking to himself, he goes, my friend, you have stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He's sitting back. He's proud. Did you catch it? Did you see why it's so difficult to identify greed? Because greed hides behind good. Greed is not one of those things that's easy to identify because at this point in the story, if if you're sitting there and if I'm sitting there, I'm probably sitting there thinking... This is a great story on retirement planning, Jesus. This is a great story on how to save. This is a great story about how if I get a really good farm and I work really hard and I get a whole heap of extra, then when I get extra, I, should, I can build bigger barns. This is what it's all about, isn't it, Jesus? And Jesus, as frustrating as he was telling stories, he had this annoying habit of leading people in one direction. And just when everyone was on the edge of their seat, thinking that they knew where the story was going, he'd shifted on them so quickly. And when he's telling this story to these thousands and thousands of people, they have this idea that it's going to be about retirement planning, that it's going to be about the future. And then in the next breath, Jesus said this, but God said to the man, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who? will get everything that you worked for. Well, Jesus, time out. Hang on. See, this guy's smart. This guy's looking to the future. This guy is not a fool, right? I don't know about you, but I'm kind of looking at that rich man thinking like, that wouldn't be a bad wicket to be on later in life, you know, to have an excess, to be like, have a nice big barn built, to not be worried about the finances for the rest of the life. And Jesus labels this man a fool. And in doing so, 
gives us an insight as to what his definition of greed is. And this is Jesus' definition of greed. The reason the, wise man is, the rich man is a fool is because greed is the false assumption that everything that comes into your hand is for your consumption. See, the rich man assumed that just because he had an abundance of stuff, that that meant that he had an abundance of time to consume all his stuff. The rich man assumed that just because he had so much stuff that he would have an infinite amount of time in his life to be able to consume everything that he had worked his life to get. And then God asks him this question, who will get your stuff? Because you don't have an infinite amount of time. You have less time than what you thought. And we have to answer the same question that that rich man had to answer. When our life comes to an end, whenever that may be, who will get your stuff? And the answer is the same for you as it was for everyone sitting in Jesus' audience. Someone else. Someone else will get your stuff. You might decide who it goes to in a will, but ultimately, someone else will get your stuff. You cannot take it with you. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much stuff you have, you cannot take it with you. Someone else will end up with all the stuff that you have accumulated throughout your lifetime. And then Jesus kind of pushes the story aside and he comes back in and he starts talking as himself again to everyone. And he kind of sums up the story. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a relationship with. I have a rich relationship with God. Notice what he doesn't say. A person is a fool if they have a lot of money. A person is a fool if they're wise with their money. A person is a fool if they plan for the future. No, 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 Jesus doesn't say that. He says a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. In other words, Jesus would characterize someone a fool if they they weren't generous towards the people and the things that God what broke God's heart, if they weren't generous towards the things that God wanted to be generous towards. Ultimately, the rich man wasn't a fool for having money. He was a fool for not viewing his money in light of eternity. Jesus is saying, eternity is a long time, and your little sliver of life on earth is just a fraction of that. Is it really worth viewing all your stuff now and living in the moment now as if it doesn't have eternal consequences? And what he's saying is ultimately having money is not a problem at all. You can have as much money as you want. The problem comes when you don't know why you have money. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is such a big deal for us because we would say that the reason that we have extra And the reason that we have been blessed with extra and what we should do with that extra is to be generous. Just as our Heavenly Father was generous to us when He gave up His life on the cross. Because the truth is, if we can can just be super honest, the truth is that one day, you and I will not be here anymore. Every single one of us in this room will lose everything that we have accumulated in this life here. And don't you want to take the opportunity while you have it to decide 
and to choose to distribute your wealth where you want it to go while you have that opportunity. So, we know that generosity, so we know that greed is that one thing that stops us from being generous. But how do we overcome greed? The answer is simple. Generosity. We overcome greed with generosity. And so this week, I want us to be really, really practical. I don't want, you to, I don't want us to be generous. That's, that's well, that's, pretty, that's a big step. That's a big step to actually commit to saying, hey, I want to be generous. I'm going to decide to be generous. That's like a lifestyle. So just this week, just for the next, next seven days or the next 14 days, what I want us to do is I want us to practice being generous. We're going to practice what it would look like if we were generous, how we would go about being generous. And the way we're going to do that is that we've actually identified a couple of rock star organizations within our community, a couple of organizations that just make such an incredible impact in our local community. And we are going to practice being generous towards these organizations. Now, before we do, I need you to know something. No one, as far as I'm aware, as far as anyone on our team's aware, actually is part of these organizations. So it's not like we're kind of like helping a friend out. No one, has, uh, no one has come to us and been like, hey, will you give us money for these organizations? In fact, the two organizations that I'm going to tell you about don't even know that we're doing this series. Don't even know that they're going to get a check for a dollar figure from us. Because we just want to practice being generous. And we want someone else to be the beneficiary of us practicing being generous. So our Four Monday, you've already seen it up there. And if you're new to be on, you're like, what's a Four Monday? We just, every week, we, uh, we have Four Monday because we believe that if you come and spend some time with us, regardless of where you are on your faith journey or what you believe, that your world should be better and the people that you interact with, their world should be better as a result of having spent a little bit of time with us. So we want to practice being generous. And the two organizations that we want to practice being generous towards are Chameleon Youth Housing is the first one. So Chameleon Youth Housing are based in Redcliffe and they've been based there for 28 years. They work specifically with 15 to 17-year-old male and females who are at risk of homelessness or who are, are, are homeless. And majority of the time, because of that age that they're in, it's through no fault of their own. It's because they've been, uh, been, they've been born into family situations where for whatever reason, the, the family that they were born into didn't have the skills or didn't have the understanding to be able to, to help them and give them the best start in life. And so this uh, youth shelter provides emergency, uh, emergency food, clothing, provides them a roof over their head. And then one of the, the uh, things that they provide is they provide the skills for these young men and women to set goals for their life, to, to have dreams for their life, and then they give them the steps to be able to achieve them. Now, that might seem simple to, to people like you and I, but could you imagine what, would, what your life would look like if you didn't know how to have a dream for your own life? and you didn't know how to talk to someone, or you didn't have someone in your life that you could go and talk to and say, hey, I've got a dream, but I don't know how to get there. These, these, some of these youth don't even know how to have a dream, because for them, a dream is food. And then the next organization that we want to um, be rich towards is uh, the Breakfast Club at Redcliffe. The Breakfast Club at Redcliffe has been around since uh, about 2010, and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, and every Tuesday and Thursday evenings, they provide food for, uh, for people who, for whatever reason, can't provide food for themselves. They are completely funded off, um, off donations. 
Um, they're run, uh, which is usually through government grants or through charities or through church organizations donating towards them. Every month, this organization gives away a thousand meals, free of charge. And the reason they do it is bigger than just feeding people who can't provide for whatever reason. The reason they do it is because they want to put people of influence around where these people come so that they can equip and empower these people so that they don't have to rely on them forever. And they can build pathways to help them begin to provide food for themselves and provide for their families, whatever that may be. So, what does that look like for us? Well, we've set a target. Our target is $2,000. We want to give $2,000, $1,000 each, $1,000 each, $2,000 in total, to each of these organizations. So what does that look like for us? Well, it could look like one person being like, $2,000, done. It could look like two people, $1,000 each. It could look like four people, $500 each. Or it could look like 70 people, $30 each. And here's what I want you to know. If we break $2,000... We made a promise to you right at the start of this series last week that we do not want you to give, we we are not going to ask you to give any money to Beyond, and we're not. If we break $2,000, anything that comes in, we're just giving out. So we'll have the opportunity to give them more than $1,000. However rich we are, whatever comes in, we will give straight out to these two organizations so that they can continue the incredible work that they're doing. And so what we're challenging every single person at Beyond to do is to donate $30. $30. It's like five or six cups of coffee, which, if you're a church person, is probably what you consume in one day. So, or, according to our statistics, that's two avo, uh, smashed avos on toast. Two smashed avos on toast. That's two fast food runs that you just say no to in order to say yes. And, and here's the thing. We're not asking you to donate $30 once a month for the rest of your life. This is a one-off, because we want just you to practice being generous. We don't want you to commit to being generous. Come back next week, and we'll talk about a generosity game plan and how you can set up a game plan to be generous for your entire life. But we just want you this week just to practice being generous with one donation of $30. Now, I also understand that some of you are like, 30 is a lot. And, I, and for some of you, 30 is not a lot. For some of you, you're like, no, I, could, I can definitely give a one-off more than 30. But for some of you, I understand 30 is a lot. And that's, um, what I want you to know is that it's not about how much you give. The whole purpose of practicing being generous is to help you move past the fear that fears your, fuels your greed and help you to overcome your greed with generosity. So we just want you to give what you think is generous for you in your current situation. And here's where you can give it to. You can take your phone out, you can take a picture, this will probably, this will come up on our socials during the week. Um, here it goes. Here it goes. <clears throat> there we go, here it goes, yes. Yes. Um, the account number you can flick it to is up there, the BSB you can flick it to is up there. The account name is Living Faith Lutheran Church, and you might be like, why is that? Because we are a church plant of Living Faith Lutheran Church. Here's the thing you need to know. Here's the thing you really need to know. In the description, you need to put Be Rich Beyond or just be rich. You need to identify that it's for the be rich campaign. Because if you don't, then it's just going into the bank account and people are going to be like, oh, where's this money go to? So 
we want, we want you to give generously, but we also want to make sure that we can count it properly so that we can give these organizations as much money as we can possibly give them. So make sure you put Be Rich in the description. Now, before we go, I just want you to take two seconds to imagine. Two seconds to imagine what it would look like for you to practice being generous this week. Because I understand that you're like, $30, oh man, that's a lot of coffee, that's going to be a lot of headaches, or I'm going to really miss my fast food this week, or I don't know if I can go without my smashed ab, or I don't, I don't know if I can go without that little luxury of mine. But that $30 goes towards people who will never, probably never ever get to meet you face to face. But at Chameleon Youth, it goes to giving people the skills to have hopes and dreams. And they probably only dream of having enough money to be able to to use their extra on coffee or use their extra on luxuries. And at Redcliffe, at the Breakfast Club, your extra goes towards helping other people who could only dream of having enough money to be able to buy a meal for themselves. People who don't have the option to go to fast food because they don't have the money to be able to do it in the first place. And here's the thing. Could you imagine, not just in this room, but could you imagine just if every follower of Jesus, not everyone, but just every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus in this local region committed to practicing being generous once, could you imagine the impact we could make with the money that Christians just in this region alone would raise? Could you imagine if, if there was a national call out to all Christians that said, hey, we just want you to practice being generous just one time, one time practice, practice being generous. You know, I did the mass based on the last census. If every single Christian who put their hand up as a Christian on the last census practiced being generous one time with $30, in Australia we would, we would raise $376 million. One practice of being generous with $30. Could you imagine what would happen across the world if Christians were to practice being generous? And the good news is we don't have to guess anymore. We don't have to wonder what it would look like. But we have the ability to change that shape and and change what people perceive when they look at Christians. We can actually practice being generous and make an impact in our local community. And we pray that other people look in and go, wow, Maybe we should practice being generous too. And maybe those people will see other people and go, we should practice being generous because what we don't want is to be a church who people go, I know all the things they're against. I know all the things they hate. I know all the reasons that you shouldn't go there. We want to be a church where people look in and go, man, I don't buy that Jesus stuff, but I honestly hope they never, ever, ever leave our community because they, they just change the game for people in our community. They make lives better because they're here. And I don't believe it. I don't believe that whole Jesus stuff, but man, I hope they never leave because our community is so much better because they're here. And we have the opportunity to do that. So this week, let's practice being generous. Let's move past the false assumption that everything that comes into our hand is for our consumption. Let's make a difference in the lives of people in our local community. And we'll give you an update next week, but I'd love to pray for you really quickly. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the words that um, you've preserved in Luke's biography, 
We thank you that thousands of years later we can look back and we can read and we can see your understanding of greed and how you defined it. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that we wouldn't ever be a community that loses sight of why you have blessed us with extra. Lord, and the reason that you've blessed us with extra is because you want us to be generous. Just like you generously gave your life on the cross for us. And Lord, may we too generously give our extra. Not so people look at us and say how great we are, Lord, but so people would look in. And maybe, just maybe through our generosity, they would come to see you and they would come to know you. And their worlds will be changed just as our worlds have been changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.